The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network, GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, Tim and I have a guest who has been featured before in the Paracast. He is Mark Ali, and he was born, he was telling us, near where the Beatles did their stuff. Is that right, Mark? Absolutely. I'm only 16 miles down the road from Paul McCartney and John Lennon's house and the cavern and all that sort of thing. The River Mersey that they sang about is is flowing just across the bottom of my street here. (laughs) Ferry across the Mersey and all that stuff. That's it. All the Mersey Beach stuff. Ah. Yeah. We can talk about that some other time, maybe on After the Paracast, but right now, since you have been exploring the UFO conundrum for so many years. What's your take on the things that are happening here in the colonies as far as disclosure? Well, I've been following it uh, for sure, as have a lot of people with an interest in uh, ufology. Do you know, in some ways, it doesn't come as a surprise that it hasn't gone to full disclosure. You know, it was kind of inevitable that, you know, we all got excited and, and somebody somewhere down the line was bound to scupper it, I think. Which is a shame. A lot of the books and publications and articles and things that have come out in the last year have certainly been moving towards uh, disclosure as an end aim. I would certainly hope the book that I've just written um, assists in that process. And it'd be nice to actually know. Do you know what? Come back to me and ask me about what we're up to, because we're up to stuff. So when we get to the end... Just to make a note to pop back and ask me um, what we're up to, because we're knocking on a few doors, um, and I think I might be able to tell you a little bit more about it. There you go. That was really mysterious, wasn't it? That's a lost leader to keep people listening. You know, they'll have to listen to the end now if they want to know what that was all about. (laughs) So this is bait and switch? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's an element of that going on. You know, all I can say is that the book the book that I produced is very much a show and tell, and it's got all the information in it that we have absolutely up to date, so I won't spoil the story or how we got there. But all I can say is we're, uh, we're aiming to push it even further. We're going further than the printed word in the hope that we will get a response, certainly a response in the UK. But I was only chatting to the publisher today that it may have consequences uh, across the pond where you are. So we shall see. I'm not holding my breath because, you know, as we found out, anything can happen. Yeah, just uh, yeah, we'll flow, we'll flow naturally into that later on, because I'm sure you're going to ask me quite a bit about the end of the book, and I'll uh, I'll let you know a bit more information when we do. <laughs> well, I'd be interested in knowing about that. What's what's going on with all this stuff? 
because it is so strange trying to deal with this. It's almost insane, which is a commercial they used to have in New York where they had this dealer and they said his prices are insane. <laughs> Certainly insanely frustrating. It really is that, that we're not, you know, getting further with it. It, it really is frustrating. And there's been a few whistleblowers. It's been an interesting case. I'm, sh- I'm sure the listeners will have followed how things have, have progressed. But sadly, without a conclusion. In passing, have you followed all the odyssey of David Grush? Um, not in great detail. I'll, I'll be honest with you, at the moment, I've, I've delved and dove and fallen into, uh, into the process of writing the next book and it's generating i think it's going to generate two books so i can confidently say it's going to be a bit of a long haul i'm doing a sort of a short punchy book about sort of practical day-to-day living on this magical planet earth and ways that you can certainly improve your existence here which i think is something that is very necessary after the years we've been through Uh, and then having finished the book on king arthur which took me 45 years to finish and get into print there's another one very similar to that which at the moment has the working title keys to the temple Um, and that one is beginning to rise to prominence and that's going to take certainly 12 to 24 months to get that into a publishable condition so uh, yeah i've been really quite preoccupied doing that um i only really see what wanders across my uh, my digital desk <laughs> well let's go from there into something that probably interests a lot of us here mm. and what it means is We have had a legendary sighting here in the States that everybody talks about and hates talking about it. And that, of course, is the R word, Roswell. (laughs) Yeah, which, in fact, fact is the nearest major town to the crash site because, of course, the crash took place at a place called Corona. Um, But it just doesn't sound quite as, as snappy as Roswell, uh, which is one of the similarities to uh, the story that's in my book, Europe's Roswell, 40 Years Since Impact, uh, in a sense that that particular UFO or UFOs, plural, that came down in in the the desert in New Mexico, came down in a a very lightly inhabited area. Um, And so they were struggling a bit to give it a proper location. And the same thing has happened here. Wales, as a a part of the British Isles, is quite sparsely populated. Um, And this incident that I record uh, is is very similar. Uh, The little sleepy village of Clanilla, just outside Aberystwyth in mid-Wales, where where this happened, um, is equally obscure. And the valley that this thing came down in was two sort of a, a mile or two further away from the village. Um, So, yes, I'm afraid we have drifted into the R word. (laughs) Definitely, definitely, definitely. And you have a particular take on the R word. Uh, Roswell. Um, I do have a take on it. Um, You know, uh, 1947, um, something definitely came down. And at the moment, um, it's kind of, you know, 50 50 as to to what happened there uh in terms of was it was it one of ours was it one of theirs 
or was it something that was back engineered? Um, and again, that's a similarity to Europe's Roswell, the one we have over here. We've got the same questions arising. Where did that thing come from? Um, and should it, should it have actually been flying around in the first place, whatever it was? Um, you know, um, the technology is certainly miles ahead of anything that, that was known at that time. Uh, so it does raise important questions. Uh, one of the biggest differences is, of course, at Roswell, you have tales of flying disks with alien bodies hanging out. Uh, we don't have that over here. Whatever it was that came down in Wales flew off, having scattered a lot of debris over four fairly large, substantial fields. Um, so... We're dealing with a craft here that can be quite badly damaged and still fly, whereas the ones at, at Roswell, New Mexico, of course, were, were damaged beyond uh, their ability to fly. Although some people think that they have been, you know, resurrected, as it were, um, and that they, you know, have, have created a generation of craft that perhaps can fly now. Um, you know, maybe that's, you know, what we're seeing here is a result of what took place over in Roswell, there's some incredible similarities, huge similarities, uh, which we can go into as we go along, if you wish. Well, one interesting thing about the R word, as it's affectionately known, is that I have this crazy theory about all this, which is that nobody has the crashed ship because E.T., seeing that their technology may be getting into the hands of primitive beings, came down and took the wreckage away. But, of course, they can't reveal that. That would be the biggest secret of all. That's why we don't have any wreckage. It's gone because he <coughs> took it back. I mean, think what we would do, Mark, if one of our craft visited a foreign country and crash-landed as a military craft we want to recover it if we could or destroy it. More to come with Mark, Gene, and Tim. You're in The Paracast. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why. We now have a small number of solar generators back in stock. These emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most. And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. 
Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Most folks don't realize this fact. Our country is only four missed meals away from chaos, and those meals can vanish fast. In a national emergency, fragile supply chains break down and will wipe grocery store shelves clean in a matter of hours. Before this happens, there's something you should do today. Let's stock up on emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply is the company millions of American families trust for their emergency supplies. You should, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each kit contains delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and other survival necessities. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship the same day, fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Those who know what's coming, prepare before the chaos starts. MyPatriotSupply.com Medicaid and CHIP offer free or low-cost health coverage for children and teens. Hospital and doctor visits, prescriptions, shots, and more are covered. That's peace of mind for parents if a child is sick or gets injured. And parents may now be eligible for Medicaid, too, even if they've applied in the past. Enrollment is always open. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-877-KIDS-NOW. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Shortly we'll be referring to Europe's Roswell with Mark Ollie, the author of the book about it. Right now we're talking about the other Roswell, and my suggestion is that maybe something alien did crash there, but E.T. picked it up, or they blew it up. I mean, I just don't see why they would want us to get their technology if they're not overtly giving it to us. There's a few observations. The first one is that there's a quite a good book that was written in the 1990s called Crash at Corona, and that goes into the the point that there were two impacts. Now, whether it's the same ship that bounced, uh, it could be the same, uh, you know, uh, the, the issue in the book is is whether it's the same 
craft the same ship that hit the desert and bounced like a like a stone going across water um, and finished up at another location. So there are two crash sites, or whether or not it was an aerial impact between two vehicles that resulted in two alien craft coming down. That's that's probably the first observation. The second observation, again from the 1990s, was that, of course, National Geographic sent a group of archaeologists out there to have a look to see what they could find. Uh, something close to my heart, obviously because I'm an archaeologist, and they found little beads of metal still in the sand, melted beads of metal. So whatever it was that was there, was there, and then was somewhere else. Now, the somewhere else issue, um, I think that's probably covered by a thousand apocryphal tales of... You know, these craft turning up in a hangar somewhere, you know, military air, air base or whatever. And um, I've got the same thing over here. There's a, just in passing, I mention a, an interesting story in the book. Uh, a friend of mine joined the army as a computer programmer. So, of course, as a, a trainee, he's given access to a military terminal. Um, and it's a bit of a funny story as well, because obviously he sat there in his lunch break thinking, oh, what can I do? You know, I've got access to this military, whatever. So he goes, dives on the Internet, does his programming because he's a very, very good hacker he was. And he tried to get into the Vatican website. Anyway, it didn't last long. He only lasted about 30 seconds. So he, he thought, oh, what, can, what else can I do? Uh, oh, I know what. I'll go and see if they've got any UFOs. So he actually went on a military terminal on the military network and had a look. And he came up with one in a hangar somewhere in the UK down south. So clearly we have them. Either, like I say, they're one of theirs, one of ours, or something that's been back-engineered, but clearly they exist. Uh, and I, I would take this guy's word as, you know, fairly gospel, because he kind of shared things with me. And he shared this as, as some something he was quite shocked about and surprised by, and he shared it, you know, probably the week after he'd actually done it. But that's not uncommon. I, I have had, over the years, many people have shared similar stories uh, and i'm fairly positive anybody in ufology will have run across pretty much the same tale from a number of sources but he was fairly reliable so um i'm gonna stick my neck out and say i, I think we've almost certainly got something um it, it certainly physically exists it's physically there i'm in several minds as to as to where it comes from I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck a theory in of my own because um, this is quite interesting because a, a lot of people have said, where are these things coming from? Well, what I do note and what I have noticed over the years um, is what I call the Star Trek effect. Now, the Star Trek effect is when the aliens are budget, so you can't create anything beyond one head, two eyes, a mouth, two arms, a body, two legs, you know, two hands, two feet. Now, a vast majority of the aliens, even the ones that, you know, look a bit odd, are conforming to that structure. And again, I think another piece in the jigsaw puzzle are these enormous stretched heads, these big stretched skulls that you find, things like the Paracas had. Clearly, there were species of human beings living in the distant past that were vastly more intelligent than us. I think anybody that watches Ancient Aliens will have realised that by now. If you were going to do some kind of interdimensional jumping around or whatever, I'm not sure what we're seeing are things from other planets. I don't think they've, you know, jumped in a, a wormhole in Alpha Centauri and, you know, decided to, you know, come and steal a cow in Texas. I don't think that's what we're seeing here at all. 
I think what's happening, you can't have people coming back in time from the future because that's going to cause a paradox. That's a well-known effect where you could screw up your own future and then cease to exist. So they're certainly not going to take that kind of risk and make themselves known as much as they are. But it would be no problem at all for them to travel forward in time from the past because it doesn't affect them. And then when they arrive, they want to know what's going on. So that neatly explains in one hit why they're taking things like cows and sheep and goats and goodness knows what else. I mean, if they, you know, if they were abducting badgers and squirrels, nobody would notice. But of course, they're taking people as well. So they want to have a look at the environment and, and see what's going on. Uh, and it would also neatly explain why they are the way they are, why they appear as they do. You know, it's it kind of it ticks all the boxes. So, you know, I'm going to go with that. I almost certainly think the time travellers, you know, they've they've cracked the problems of time and space at some point in the distant past. I mean, even human beings, you know, there's been people who've been able to see the future. So clearly we're dealing with a timeline and they managed to sort that out. They've managed to crack that as a problem. Um, and I think they're travelling forward in time. So for them, time and space dimensions, all that doesn't really exist. They can go wherever they like. But I certainly don't think they're coming from the future, and I'm not 100% sure they're aliens. Gosh, we got a lot out of that observation, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, they sure did. And I was going to bring up one thing, because we talked about this to others, that there may be alternatives to this paradox, the grandfather paradox, when it comes to time travel, you know, changing the past in some way. One of which is that whatever happens was meant to be. The other is that the change begets another reality, another dimension. So the original dimension remains unchanged. At yeah, least a couple yeah. of theories there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to all suggestions. Um, it still doesn't really explain why, you know, an alien would travel hundreds of millions of miles in a super, you know, super advanced ship and steal a cow. That, that you know, that I think there are, there's another game being played here. There's another, there's another set of things going on, which I think are environmental. So I'm only sort of looking for the, the theory that sort of ticks the most boxes. Um I mean, who knows? Like you say, they could be, you know, doing something to deliberately orchestrate a change in the future. That's possible. Um, but there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the number of sightings we're having and things that are going on are significantly altering what's happening as we move forward in our timeline. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. But like you say, whether they're playing with safe ground because they know they're just doing what they're supposed to do um, or whether it's something else, you know, that, that is a possibility. I just don't feel it ticks as many boxes, but you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. There are other ideas out there, um, but that's just the one I'm going with. <laughs> yeah. I always did think that it was odd that the majority of uh, occupant seen in association with uh, uh, UFO landings always tend to be humanoid. Well, some people think we're human, but of course we'll correct them. Mark Ollie, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz, you're in the Pedicast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www.silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. USA News Update. The Supreme Court has opted not to address, at least for now, a case regarding whether Donald Trump has immunity from prosecution for alleged crimes committed during his presidency. On Friday, the High Court rejected a request from federal special counsel Jack Smith to expedite the proceedings connected to Trump's purported efforts to overturn the 2020 election. This decision implies a growing possibility that Trump's federal trial might not reach a conclusion before the 2024 election. Medical professionals advise exercising caution as families gather for the holidays. Dr. Marina Kellner from Westchester Medical Center highlights the increasing numbers of COVID cases, along with a surge in flu and the respiratory virus RSV. COVID hospitalizations in New York State alone have shown a steady rise, with over 2,200 reported this week compared to 1,200 during the Thanksgiving holiday period. I'm John Schaefer. Skip Kelly, USA News. Do you have difficulty taking supplements? Are you searching for a high-quality, complete nutritional drink that your whole family will love? Nutramedical's Life Support has arrived. All of your daily nutritional requirements in one quick, delicious drink. Dr. Bill Deagle's Life Support is a proprietary blend of vegan protein, activated vitamins, essential minerals, amino acids, probiotics, green tea, digestive enzymes, anti-inflammatories, cancer prevention, detoxification, and much more. Your body will high-five you for this one. Life Support is the best complete nutritious meal replacement on the market. Whether you are an elite athlete, have post-operative challenges, chronic illness, elderly, or a family that just wants a quick, delicious drink, try Dr. Bill Deagle's Life Support for optimized nutrition in one great-tasting smoothie. Just add cold water, almond milk, fruit, or anything else you like. Nutramedical's Life Support. Try our great-tasting chocolate or vanilla today. Call 888-212-8871 or visit us online at Nutramedical.com. Nutramedical.com for the whole family. Let me tell you a story about Bill. Bill was a normal guy in his 50s. He had back surgery about two years ago. Bill was in a lot of pain. He dealt with his pain by taking the Percocets his doctor prescribed for him. Bill took more and more and more of them to help with the pain. Until one day, the prescriptions weren't enough to get rid of Bill's pain. Then one day, Bill found someone to help him get rid of the pain with illegal drugs he didn't need a prescription for. Fast forward to today. Bill lost his job. And his family. The only thing he does have is his drug dealer. If you know Bill's story and you don't want to end up like Bill, call the Detox and Treatment Helpline right now. 
to get away and get treatment. 800-296-1327. Call right now. Help is standing by. 800-296-1327. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Or in the words of William Shatner, human. <laughs> I don't think you know. Most people know the movie connection to that, which is Star Trek II: Wrath of Khan, when he talks about Spock when they killed him off at the end of the movie. Yeah, Tim managed to jump in there. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one to notice that, that the Star Trek effect is is the idea that you've only got a certain budget, so you can only you know create certain types of, of aliens different species of humans you know i'm not the first to come up with that one i mean that's a, a plot line in the x files um, the idea of changing genetics modifying genetics creating genetics but it does seem as though these beings are already there i don't think they're purposely engineered to fly the ships or whatever by us which of course is is where the x files went i don't i don't think that's the case I think the alien element's genuine. They are alien, but they're alien in the sense that they're not from this time and place. I think that's probably uh, where that's coming from. Anyway, back to you guys. Go on. <laughs> I wanted to start segueing here to your book, hmm. because if we're going to look at the American R word, we're going to look at Europe's R word. And I'd like to know where this got started. Can you tell us the background? How did you happen to come across this case okay believe it or not you have actually been going through the book uh, <laughs> the previous book to this one well two books back was uh, crystal skulls and human heads um, and that talks about the different species of humans so that kind of covered that bit of what we've talked about and then the idea and the concept of them being time travelers i think that comes up in in europe's roswell 40 years since impact i think that's in the conclusion uh, but yes uh, the story well, the story actually begins in 1983. We think it was in the first few days of the January. So you're talking, you know, first, second, third, maybe fourth of January. And something in the middle of the night flew over the farm belonging to a farmer called Earl Evans. And as it did so, it impacted on the top of trees. It cut through the top of a wooded copse and it took out a swathe of about 20, 25 foot width. It then flew over four fields that were adjacent to the copse, dropping all this metalwork, foil, a couple of other bits and bobs, possibly girders. And then it flew off with all that stuff missing, as I previously said. So Irwell comes out the next day, the farmer, he comes out to tend his sheep and he looks at these fields and they're just covered in debris. Uh, so he does, he does what anybody would do. He phones the police and says, um, I think I've had a plane crash. What's going on? The police said, oh, OK, leave it with us. We'll have a word with the local Air Force base. Um, we'll see if they know anything. About two or three hours later, notices that there's a lot of vehicles heading his way. Um, and all this 
all this sort of you know crash recovery team arrive and there's police officers policing uniform then there's air force people there uh, and air force officers uh, and then Earl notices there's another set of people there that he can't identify dressed in suits so I'm going to refer to them as the men in black but whatever they are they're a third department and they're actually ordering the other people around even the the officers so this cleanup then starts and as it starts to go dark they put up floodlights because obviously it's winter over here so it goes dark earlier and they carry on clearing all this debris now herbal's a farmer so he's got to be up the next day to keep the farm going so somewhere around about midnight he says you know to to everybody and goes to bed anyway he gets up the following morning everything's gone it's just completely cleared Fast forward a couple of weeks, and there's a newspaper article, and it appears in the Sunday Express on the 23rd of January. Basically, it's entitled Strange Debris Out of the Sky. And the chap who's in charge of the local UFO group is a chap called Gary Rowe, and he subscribes to the local news paper clipping agency. So he gets this clipping sent to him. This is pre-internet, pre that type of communication so he gets this newspaper clipping and he thinks do you know what i've got a feeling i know this erwell so he gets on the phone phones erwell evans and erwell says yeah yeah it was me my fields and gary says well clearly we have to come down and have a look at this you know and see what's happened so they all pile down there they have a look at the fields and sure enough after a, a really good going over by the ufo group by gary and his friends there's nothing in the fields now gary then looks at this woods and he says there's no way in the middle of the night that they're going to get all the metal all the fragments out of this woods so they dive into the woods and sure enough there's a couple of bits of metal stuck in trees there's a couple of bits on the floor there's a few bits of foil takes them absolutely ages to find the bits that they find anyway they come back again a week or two later this time they don't find anything at all they say okay we're going to bring back metal detectors and we'll see what we can do Uh, a couple of weeks later they get a phone call off Erwell and Erwell's saying you're not going to believe this they're taking away the woods they're cutting the forest down so Gary's like really Okay, I'll phone the local woodland folks, the Forestry Commission, and find out what they're doing. So Gary phones the Forestry Commission, and the guy on the other end says, well, uh, we're clearing the forest because of wind damage. Gary's like, well, do you normally clear woods because of wind damage? The guy at the other end goes, nope, but in this case we are. From which Gary then took it to mean that they'd been instructed to you know, get rid of any possibility of there being any other evidence. So there's two other stories then that follow on from that that are quite significant. The first one probably took place some point in February, perhaps drifting into March. Uh, and Gary gets a knock on the front door. You know, he gets the bing bong and he goes to open the door and he can see two black figures stood outside the door. So he opens the door. Sure enough, two men in black, you know, black suits, black ties, black hats, dark glasses, incomprehensible passes. Gary glances up the close where he lives and there's two black SUVs there, all the windows blacked out, no number plates. And these two guys just go, um, oh, we've come for our material. Can we have our metal back, please? And Gary goes, no, you can't. <laughs> and these guys are like, really? And Gary <laughs> says, well, what I've done is, he says, I've got a piece of this metal and I've broken it up into small fragments and I put it into key rings. And he said, there's probably about a hundred of these key rings. And he said, I've given them out to everybody I know that is in any way connected to media, 
television, newspaper, all this sort of thing. And he said, as long as you don't come back here asking for this material ever again, I will not tell these people to release that material to the media. He said, but if you turn up on my doorstep again, that's what I'm going to do. So these guys, quite clearly, absolutely in silence, just nod, walk away, get in the vehicles and drive away, never to be seen again. Clearly, they're not going to get it all back. It's scattered everywhere. They've got no idea where it is. But that does raise a couple of important questions, even in the stories that I've just shared with you. First of all, how did they know that Gary had been poking around in the woods? How did they know that he'd actually got the metal in the first place? And the second question is, he doesn't even live in the same part of Wales. So how did they find out where he lived and turn up on his front doorstep? So clearly he was being watched and the site was being watched. There's no doubt about that at all. Anyway, the third story, and this is this is probably the answer, answer to Gene's original question. Fast forward again to 2005, I think it was, 2006. I met Gary at a, a UFO conference, and we got chatting over a curry afterwards, as you do. Uh, and Gary said, oh, I've got this, this case. Uh, you know, you're involved in film and television, which I am. He said, uh, you know, maybe you want to do a documentary on this case. You know, I said, all right, OK, we'll meet up and talk about it. Anyway, we never got round to it for a while. So he phones me up and he says... Um, how do you fancy doing some archaeology on a UFO crash? Straight away in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, like one of these spitfires that hits the ground at 600 miles an hour, you know, and kind of embeds itself into the ground. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, fantastic. We'll be digging up this big silver disc, you know, with all this alien stuff and all that. And Gary's like, whoa, whoa, no, that's not quite how it is. He said, you know... It came down and he told me the story and he said, and, and the ground is all limestone with a light coat in the soil. He said, so I'm not sure what you'll find. Well, of course, as an archaeologist, I'm thinking, well, clearly they've hoovered this site clear of everything, you know, knowing what the story was at this point. And then Gary just very casually happens to say, but I've got some fragments in a case in my garage. <laughs> we'll look for those fragments in our next fragment. With Mark, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. If you love mysteries, you'll love these two books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll learn about the strange beings that can look like us, but are not. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll see the hard evidence of UFOs that has been ignored or even hidden. These books will definitely blow your mind, and both are now available on Amazon.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. 
What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. Walloffire.com. Do you know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help now. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare. Call 800-284-0523. Learn how through the Family Medical Leave Act, you can leave your job without losing your job. Locations everywhere. Get immediate help for drug and alcohol problems. Call now. 800-284-0523. 800-284-0523. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy, formerly Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Air National Guard and Reservist. I'm looking for veterans, active duty military personnel to join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. She needs your skills, courage, and loyalty more than ever. Contact GCNteam.com. Because of the financial and health care collapse, veterans are currently struggling finding jobs. Frustrated looking for a job? Change your tactics. Join the 90 for Life Crusade to save America. Start a health care business with FDI Longevity 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com immediately. We're looking for military specialists who can use a computer and communicate information and execute a battle plan. Join the admirals, Navy SEALs, Marines, pilots, Army officers, military police, sheriffs, police officers, firemen, and first responders already enrolled in the 90 for Life Crusade. Contact GCNteam.com now. FDI Longevity will help you apply your military skills to the task of saving America through health and financial programs. Contact GCNteam.com. Enlist in GCNteam.com and save America. is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. So, Mark, this guy has fragments. He used the other F word, fragments. Yeah, he did. What happened next? Well, this this is where things get really interesting because clearly the men in black had not recovered the material that he'd found and he had six pieces of metal and 
two pieces of foil uh, that he'd managed to get out of this uh, woods and um, he'd kept them. He'd put them in a case. He'd locked the case. He doesn't keep the case at home still to this day. He keeps it uh, securely stored um, in a lockup facility. But he sort of wheeled these pieces out and he said, look, it's been 25 years since the crash. Why don't we reopen the case? Why don't we do a documentary? So I did a documentary. It's called Europe's Roswell and it's out there. It's on YouTube. Go to a company called Drake, Michigan, you'll be able to find it. So it's digitally remastered. We only put that out in the last few months, uh, including a whole host of other back catalogue material connected to me. So it's out there. You can go and watch it. Anyway, I did it for an American company called Reality Films. Uh, They put it to DVD. They um, circulated it. And, you know, we expected a fairly large response to this, you know, because we've actually got pieces of this, you know. And the total response was... Well, pretty much zero. I think I got one phone call from an American station that wanted an interview and they never followed it up. So that just amazed everybody, um, you know. So the documentary, I think, finished up on Amazon. Amazon Prime, I think, was where it ended up. And it's been watched quite solidly by a lot of people since 2008 when it was released. Um, And then, of course, now... I'm working with a publisher called Philip Mantle, and Philip's, you know, finger on the pulse. He, he's far bigger in u- ufology than I'll ever be. Uh, he's an amazing guy. Uh, and he just very nonchalantly said, you know, well, I've put a couple of books out for you now. And he said, one's Archaeoscience and the other one's about King Arthur. He said, uh, why don't we do one on flying saucers? Since uh, <laughs> that's what I actually publish, let's do one of those. So um, he said, it's 40 years since the original crash so let's try and get this book out this year 2023 so we did we had it ready for the beginning of the year and it's kind of show and tell it's got loads of photographs in there the best quality ones we could find it's got at least two stories of uh, how i got involved with ufos because you know i saw some when i was a teenager in the 70s and i saw another one in um, 1980s so i'm i'm, I'm a witness on oh, and dozens of other encounters while we've been on archaeological sites and what have you things whizzing overhead and bobbing around in the sky and i've obviously been in that community a part of that community for many years so all that sort of information's gone in there, and, and, and most of it's new. I don't think anybody's uh, really covered any of the stories in any detail before. And then, of course, there was the making of the DVD originally, so pretty much everything I've told you up to this point, that's summarised in there in, in a very sort of punchy way. It's an easy read. And then, and then, good old Philip, right at the 11th hour, says, I wonder if Gary would agree to get this material analysed. And I'm like, well, no, I don't think he'll do that. He's really protective of his material. I I really don't think he's, you know, he's on board, but I don't think he's that much on board. So Philip said, well, why don't I try? Why don't I, you know, send him an email? So he did. I didn't really get any response back from Gary. So, you know, we thought, well, nothing's going to happen. And a few days later, we got three samples in a jiffy bag. Phillips came whizzing in, in the post. I think it was something like September or October, at which point we're all panicking because by this point, the, the release date for the book's the 1st of November. So the story takes another enormous step forward. Do you want me to go into the analysis? Well, you know what? That's, of course, the the closer here. What was the analysis? <laughs> what happened? Well, 
We, uh, to be honest with you, we already had one set of results because back in the 19, I think it was in the 1980s, uh, independent of anything else, Gary had friends in the aerospace industry. He had a couple of ladies that built planes. He had a couple of fellas that were in the science departments. But he had one contact that worked for British Aerospace, which was particularly significant because over here, they're the guys that deal with the military. and They make pretty much everything. So he managed to get a piece of this informally. He, he did this because it would have cost thousands of pounds back then to, to actually analyse it. And managed to get a piece of this into um, British Aerospace. And he got a report back, probably 10, 11, 12 pages of stuff. And the gist of what it said is... Um, we haven't actually analysed this. We've done several other tests on it and we've looked at it visually and we think it's a piece of duralumin. Now, duralumin at that point is not unusual because it's been used in fighter aircraft and airships and goodness knows what else. It goes all the way back to the First World War. So duralumin is also a trade name as well. It's a bit like Coca-Cola or McDonald's or whatever. There's 200 different varieties of duralumin. So while it's a step forward, it's not a particularly big one, but we already had that. We had that piece of information. So we're calling that the UK tests. That was the UK um, test that were done on the material. Uh, anyway, back to Philip again. Philip says, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll split the material. We'll send some of it to a lab in Australia and we'll send some of it to a lab in the USA and we'll see what happens and we'll mark it urgent. Hopefully we'll get this back before the book's due to be published. So anyway, a couple of weeks pass. And the analysis from Australia comes back. Pretty much the first thing it says, this material is not duralumin. Okay, um, what is it then? So you carry on going through the report. It's aluminium and it's aluminium foam. At which point, none of us had the foggiest idea what aluminium foam was. And it turns out what you can do is you can get aluminium to react and it, it, it sort of foams up if you like and then goes hard at room temperature and it's extremely light extremely durable uh, and quite adaptable and again they've been doing this for a while and uh, the australians also said oh and by the way the the gray resin substance that you've got on this metal we think it's this particular type of american glue so we don't think it's one of theirs we think it's one of ours at which point we're like well that's pretty much sunk that one then and then the american report comes back literally matter of a couple of days later you, you open the american report and right at the very beginning it says substance unknown <laughs> <laughs> oh we're like oh no where are we going with this and you look at the analysis and it's 90 i think it's 94.6 percent lanthium or lanthanum and again, that's another one of those things where you go, what on earth is that? Anyway, lanthium, turns out, it's something like number 27 as the most common material on planet Earth. So it's kind of up there with things like, you know, basalt and quartz and mud and everything else. It's everywhere. Um, but, but it's just incredibly difficult to extract it because it's, it's so scattered but it's also in comets, meteorites, the universe, the upper atmosphere, galaxies, as well as everywhere on planet Earth. So it's, it's, a, it's what they call an exotic metal, not because it's particularly rare, but because it is so difficult to extract. So at this point, we're looking at the two samples and we realise that the sample that went to Australia is a thin sheet with green non-aerodynamic paint on it, because we know that from the original 
British Aerospace Report. The stuff that went to America is fractionally thicker. It's got the same kind of resin on one side, but on the other side, it's got these rubbery green hexagons all over it. Both labs failed to properly identify either the rubbery green hexagons, the paint, or this grey resin, because it certainly isn't an American glue, because, of course, the American lab would have known exactly what it was. And it's also not duralumin. So you've now got these two substances. You've got aluminium foam, which, as far as we know, did not exist in the late 70s, early 80s. And then you've got this other substance, lanthium or lanthanum, which was covering four fields, and some of the sheets were six foot square. They were two meter square sheets of this stuff. That is literally billions of dollars of extracted lanthium at today's prices. And again, it's not a substance that was known to exist. In fact, it's still not a substance that's admitted to exist in use in aerospace. It, it's, it's completely alien. Nobody knows what it is or where it comes from. Uh, it's just bizarre. So now it's gone back the other way. You know, uh, there's me and the publisher chatting to each other going, well, yes, you know, we'll get the results back and this will nail it. This will put a stop to it all. You know, we'll solve the mystery with this analysis. And no, no, it's gone the opposite way. We've just fallen further down the rabbit hole because we've got material that shouldn't have existed being used in a way that it shouldn't have been used at a time and at an expense that is well, pretty much beyond us, uh, even today, it's difficult to, you know, be able to do what that ship clearly did. And then you've still got other mysteries, like, where the hell did it go? Was Before it? we find out what's going on, <laughs> like a song, what's going on? We've got Mark, Gene, and Tim, you're in. The Buricast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. Eating, working, living pain-free. These are things many of us take for granted. But for many adults with disabilities who are elderly or have serious medical issues, dental care is simply unaffordable. Dental Lifeline Network is looking for dentists who can change this. DLN is asking dentists and their teams to volunteer to just see one of the many patients in need. You can literally change a life. When you volunteer with DLN's donated dental services program to C1, you treat a pre-qualified patient in your office at your convenience. 
We handle the details so you can focus on the care. Lack of dental care can lead to the inability to have life-saving surgery, eat or contribute to our community. If you are a dentist or know a dentist, please share this message. Will you see one? Visit willyouseeone.org to help change one life in your community today. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. I'll tell you, it's these are the analyses from you know where in trying to figure out what happened here, aren't they? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, we got a bigger report back from the Australian lab that came back. I mean, I've got to say that both reports, the summaries of those reports, exactly as we got them, as we received them, minus the backstory, because obviously that's the book, so people don't need to have that. They've already got that. Minus the backstory, the reports in full, in detail, are at the end of the book. So there's a quite a bit more to it than what I've said on, on air, so it's well worth getting hold of the book, having a look at the analysis, um, and seeing if it's anything that anybody out there recognises, you know, and can tell us any more about it. Uh, but then the detailed report that came back from Australia and some additional information we got from America uh, and some other information, which we're now gradually, I hinted at this at the beginning of the, um, of the interview, there's some additional information now that we're pursuing, has, if anything, just complicated an already difficult investigation. Um, I shall glide seamlessly into the next bit of information for you. We did a freedom of information request for the nearest Air Force base to the site, to the crash site, for that particular period of that particular year. Uh, And basically all it says in the book is we did that and we drew a blank. That essentially is, is, is the truth. But at the end of the Freedom of Information Act, it actually says, but there are also a few other air bases that may have been involved in this that you may be able to contact. And it gives, I think it's about three or four other addresses. And then, of course, there's the local police. Now, they should have logged it as, as an incident. So uh, that's one of the angles that we're pursuing Nobody else other than you guys knows that because that's only arisen extremely recently. But it's likely because of Christmas and New Year and the speed at which the military machine rolls, we're not likely to get any results back from some of those till the new year. So it's going to be a case of holding our breath. Uh, Personally, I'm not hopeful. I I don't think anything's going to come of that. Um, But... Back to where we came in, subject of disclosure. You never know in a different atmosphere, different time, different place. They might actually, you know, hold the hands up and go, yes, it was one of ours. But um, doubtful, uh, rather doubtful. There's another angle as well that we're pursuing. Um, Having got the material, we are looking for comparisons. So we are sort of going, as it were, slightly outside of the military and the ordinary avenues of investigation to see if we can actually locate anything from that time period that comes even close to what we've got. 
and I can't give too much away, but it's it's that seems to be more productive and it seems to be more interesting in terms of having a look at things. We've got some kind of stray matches. A couple of bits of stuff seem to look a bit similar to what we've got, but nothing that you can actually pinned down you know yes they're using aluminium foam nowadays they've developed that that's gone off down certain avenues but the other stuff the lanthium no complete mystery absolutely no idea where that's taking us uh, we've not had any matches at all for that at this at this point but you know i'm i'm determined i'm an archaeologist and I'm, I'm a researcher and it'd be great if i could actually say yes it's off one of these particular models of stealth fighters you know and, and i want to nail it completely you know and even then, so let's assume that we do nail it completely and we can show you a picture of what this stuff's come off. Where did it come from? What was it doing flying around the skies in 1983 when it shouldn't have existed? You know, we're still not at the end of this one. Definitely not at the end of this one. I said to the publisher, I emailed him earlier, as a bit of a, talking about Christmas stuff and what have you, and I just said, you know, it's the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> <laughs> you know we just i don't think we're going to see a quick end to this so what i would say i mean don't, don't be put off listeners please don't be put off about this from buying the book uh, i would actually encourage people to buy the book now because it's it's a brilliant time super duper time to join the adventure you know jump in now sit there on the veranda with a cup of cocoa it'll only take you a couple of hours to get through this book maybe three hours at the most have a look at what's in there talk to your friends you know see what people know anything that that people find out you know send us the information let us know so that we can see where we're going with this and again and i'm gonna sort of end this little section on this the same material the little beads of metal metal detectorist recently found the same type of aluminium foil which again hasn't been analyzed but uh, there's a matching piece of that that's come off the crash site at roswell so we're back to where we started if we've got the same crash, the same playbook, the same material, the same stuff over here, then maybe, just maybe, the same thing happened at Roswell. So it kind of feeds backwards, feeds back across the Atlantic. So I, th I think it's great. I think this is a fantastic adventure. Like I say, now is the time for people to jump in and kind of become a part of this and, you know, um, get stuck into the book. Uh, really is a good point to join it. We, th we thought it was going to be an end, but it's not. It's, it's just another beginning. <laughs> now, in terms of Roswell, we don't have any comparable analyses of material from 1947. I mean, if we did, it would be even weirder than what you're reporting, because that would be decades before they would have been widely used or even used on occasion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, completely. I mean, if I run through some of the par parallels, you know, um, crash in the middle of nowhere, all the stuff's disappeared, you know, part of the cleanup. One farmer was the only witness to all of this. Good old Matt Brazel, though, he managed to, according to himself, he managed to recover some fragments, stick them in a case and hide them in his house before he died. Now, that case has never been found, but the case we've got of fragments over here, that has been found and we've got them. In terms of analysis obviously the archaeologists from the um, national geographic they had a look at the material they had they couldn't really 
say what it was. Only we're talking tiny little beads of melted metal. But that in itself is as mysterious as the fact that we can't really nail down the material we've got over here. We can say what's in it, but we can't say what it is. Then a couple of weeks before the book went into print, you had this metal detectorist putting a photograph up on, on, I think it was on one of Philip's sites, of a piece of this same foil from Roswell. So then you have got that same thing going on. I mean, in in the book, there, there are parallels that Gary has come up with. He came up with about four or five A4 sheets of parallels that are the same. You know, the one newspaper article that appeared in the uh, Roswell Daily Record on the, the day and the day after, then it vanishes. You know, the same thing happened over here. So there are, there are dozens of other things as part of the same playbook. But it certainly then feeds into Roswell. And as you rightly say, was that technology in 1947, was that something to do with what the Germans developed in the Second World War? Is it an, an outcome of Operation Paperclip? You know, where, where did that go? Or is it the other way around? Was it that particular operation that then got hold of this alien technology and started making use of it? Fast forward a bit further, you know, and 1970s, 1980s, is that where our vehicle comes from? Are we looking at the end of a developmental arc that started as as early as as the 1940s you know fascinating questions and you know uh, for me it's brilliant i i I don't know whether it's the archaeologist in me but i I, the chase is better than the the catch you know so at the moment we're in right in full chase you know we're really going at it at the moment to try and see where this takes us so i can't wait i can't wait to see where we end up it'd be very disappointing if we don't get anywhere with it but I, i you know we will. We will. We'll make a few more steps, at least, I think. But as you rightly point out, you know, the, like I say, this this technology, is it ours? Is it theirs? Or is it something in between? Well, of course, one of the stocks in trade of some of the Roswell stories is that we got a hold of alien craft. We were able to reverse engineer some of the technology, which I do not believe in. The book is called Europe's Roswell. It's not a big book, okay? It's... 99 pages so you can get through it as you said in two or three hours depending on your speed if you're reading we've got mark and gene and tim you're in the paracast hey listeners i want you to have the entire paracast experience so i'd like to tell you about after the paracast After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. 
Most folks don't realize this fact. Our country is only four missed meals away from chaos, and those meals can vanish fast. In a national emergency, fragile supply chains break down and will wipe grocery store shelves clean in a matter of hours. Before this happens, there's something you should do today. Let's stock up on emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply is the company millions of American families trust for their emergency supplies. You should, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each kit contains delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and other survival necessities. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship the same day, fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Those who know what's coming, prepare before the chaos starts. MyPatriotSupply.com If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, veterinarian and naturopathic physician. The Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy with an important message. Take charge of your health. Do not continue to blindly follow the system that has failed us all. I appreciate GCN listeners because you're open-minded and intelligent. If our system is so great, why is it that the United States, the USA, ranks nearly 60th worldwide in longevity and number one in obesity? All the while, we spend more money than all the other countries combined annually on unnecessary health care procedures and toxic drugs. It doesn't take much to get on track, not with the government or pharmaceutical companies, but rather you in control of your own health with a basic understanding of nutrition and supplementation. FDI Longevity has the finest quality health, sports, and energy supplements available. GCN listeners are invited to join our team of people who want to stay healthy well into old age. We are currently looking for specialists to represent FDI Longevity and save America. To buy products at wholesale prices or join our business team, go to GCNteam.com. That's GCNteam.com. Support GCN. Get healthy. Are you a business owner? Are you confused by the complexity of the tax laws? We can help. I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been helping business owners solve tax problems for over 40 years. My book, The Small Business Tax Guide, shows proven ways to avoid all the common business tax problems. Don't risk your business. Go to danpilla.com to order your copy. That's danpilla.com. Order now and get a free 15-minute call directly with me, a $99 value. Go to danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We explore Europe's Roswell, the analyses of material supposedly recovered. The question here is whether the Roswell episode produced similar material back in 1947. But the third question is, would that material provide for a more advanced structural integrity situation on aircraft? Does it make them more impervious to harm, better able to fly through space? What? 
Very, very good question. That is a very good question because we have obviously had quite a bit of time to sort of look into this. I will give you how I think uh, this material was used. Looking at it as it is, I'm going to do this layer by layer. The green non-aerodynamic paint, British Aerospace said that's never been on the outside of an aircraft. It's, it's got no aerodynamic quality whatsoever. So clearly that's the interior surface. And that is coated onto the aluminium. So the aluminium foam, therefore, must be the internal surface. The grey resin, then, that is again on the aluminium, is what joins on the foil, the hexagonal foil. So the bulk of the solid shape of whatever it is you're looking at is made up of this aluminium foil core. So already you're looking at a lot of strength and a great deal of, of lack of weight. You know, there's no weight in this thing at all. The next thing you hit then when you get through the foil will be the next layer of resin, which then glues the foil to the next piece of metal, which is the lanthium, the lanthanum. And what's interesting about the lanthium is when you bombard it when you try and look at it under say an electron microscope or you know examine it it pushes back it distorts so it's still got some kind of live quality to it and then if you go to the outer coating which is where this rubberized hexagonal material is that is very similar it's very indicative of stealth technology so i would have said that's the outer shell so what you've now got is a structure. Most of the pieces are either concave or convex, depending on which way you look at them. So it's clearly come off something that is curved. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Once you apply that technology, so let's say that's the outer shell of something, clearly that something it has a specific design. It's either going to be under extreme pressure or it's used under extreme speed. You know, it, it's got a, a particular function. Hitting trees is not its function. <laughs> it goes outside of what it was designed to do. So this thing's glided through this forest, and, and basically it's been battered. It's been bombarded by these, these impacts, a lot of them. And basically it shattered the material like eggshell because it can't push back. And we know the lanthium has this ability to push back. It can do it in a number of different ways, but it couldn't resist the forces that were being impacted on it by the trees. So all of whatever was the bottom of this thing's just got smashed off, and that's how it's ended up scattered all the way across these fields. It's probably about 25 foot wide, whatever it is. It's probably at least double the depth of whatever the, the shape in the forest was. So working with the shape of a flying saucer is not out of the question. It could easily have been that shape. So that kind of speaks to possibly its use, its function, how, how it ended up where it ended up. Uh, Gary, when he came to cut up the pieces of metal, he noticed that if he stamped on it or hit it with a hammer or really went at it, you know, with the cutters or with a saw, he wasn't getting anywhere with the material. He couldn't break it up for the key rings. But then when he actually got hold of it with a set of metal snips and just sort of wiggled it slowly it began to fracture and he could take pieces off it. So it is very, very clearly not designed to, to stand impact, which again, is it or isn't it? You know, if it, was, if it was something alien that wasn't designed to do what it did, that would perhaps take you in one direction. But then if it was man-made, it does ask the question, well, why wasn't it better made? Why did they not 
consider the possibility that this could impact on something you know there isn't a simple answer to that but that's where the technology goes that's that's where we're at with the material that we actually have it does somehow all join together and it is part of a bigger jigsaw puzzle we know for example that duralumin is used on on um, the control surfaces for fighter aircraft the ailerons the wing flaps the tail flap very often you'll find duralumin there uh, whether or not this material is is another form of of control surface it's very very hard to tell that's the kind of thing we're trying to find out that's where we're going to go this next year you know and really push into it and hopefully we'll get a result well the imperfect nature of some of this does read more as a possibility of something that we experimented with yeah or it was never expected that it would end up how can i put it materializing in a forest (laughs) you know i've got this image i'm being very imaginative here of you know two little alien fellas sat in, in a big disc with the dome on top and all of a sudden they go, you know, come out the clouds like you see in the movies, you know, there they are. There's this big disc. Oh, beggar, there's a forest in front of us, you know, bang, 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 bang. That clearly, whatever it was, was was out of its comfort zone. Or was it just that, like you say, some military drone operator, you know, lost control when he spilled his coffee, you know, and it, it ducked a bit too low. Uh, and that was the end result. Honestly, don't know. I really don't know. It could go either way. In every interview I've done to cover this book, you know, when people have sort of asked me to my face and they've said, you know, what do you think it is? I am literally 50-50. I, at this point, do not know whether it's one of theirs, one of ours or something in between. I really literally don't know. I'm half and half, you know. But it's nice to think that even aliens make mistakes. (laughs) Well, you know, they didn't pay enough Latinum for development. So it Mm. just didn't work. That's all. (laughs) The result of the lowest bidder. That's what I say. That explains why we have crashes of UFOs if we do. That the lowest bidder was involved. Because one would think, if they're traveling umpteen, whatever, light years, and not through a wormhole or whatever, but whatever it is to get here from a far distance, they would send something that's reasonably resilient. (laughs) And if they have a culture like we do in terms of profit and loss, not like the idealized Star Trek structure where <laughs> yeah, the- where in Star Trek for the voyage home, Captain Kirk didn't have any money with which to pay for bus rides or for pizza. <laughs> yeah, those, those damn Ferengi get everywhere, don't they, as well? So, you know, they came for a cow and ended up losing the ship. <laughs> Wow. Oh, dear. i tell you something, though. Speaking of Star Trek Deep Space Nine with the Ferengi with stars, the guy who played Quark, Armin Shimmerman, is one amazing actor. Just being able to talk with that, all that crazy makeup and the teeth and everything shows a great, great ability to withstand punishment. Yeah, I, I know I take the mickey a lot out of the Star Trek syndrome, you know, the way they did things back then. But like you say, uh, you know, budget considerations aside, the actors just pulled it off so well, uh, you know, to actually be able to communicate any emotional, um, you know, visual emotion through that amount of prosthetics is is, is quite an achievement. we got uh, more know. achievements to make here with Mark, Gene and Tim. You're in the podcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Are you curious about what might be missing from your diet and supplement choices? Take a free health assessment to identify your possible nutrient deficiencies. As a certified holistic health coach, I will help you assess and prioritize a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL-90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL-90. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp-made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right. We cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA News Update. The Christmas holiday weekend arrives, but with the added specter of war in the Holy Land. Ryan Daniels has more. Israeli forces were beginning to slowly push into central Gaza Friday, with heavy artillery bombardment and airstrikes reported. Since the October 7th murder of more than 1,300 Jews at the hands of Hamas terrorists in Israel, the death toll for Palestinians has topped 50,000 amidst the IDF's retaliatory invasion. Meanwhile, the U.S. is now putting its support behind newly softened language in the U.N. Security Council resolution. It calls for new humanitarian aid corridors, close monitoring of them, and a commitment to working toward a lasting cessation of hostilities. Residents in the Midwest and the Northeast may find their dreams of a white Christmas dashed this year. According to forecasters, the remaining patches of snow on the ground in those regions are expected to disappear by Christmas Day on Monday. Skip Kelly, USA News. Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated. So keep it simple and take good care of yourself with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Our heating pads soothe pains in the neck, back, and shoulders while relaxing muscles and increasing blood circulation. Sunny Bay Heating Pads have always been made in the USA and hand-filled to perfection with the highest quality materials. Sunny Bay Heating Pads are the perfect wellness gift for loved ones or yourself. See all of our high-quality products at sunny-bay.com, including heated body pads, neck pillows, heated neck and body wraps, and our stress-reducing lavender line. They're all affordable, durable, and in stock now and ready for immediate shipping direct from sunny-bay.com. Read our trusted, authentic, and real reviews at sunny-bay.com or just search for Sunny Bay Heating Pad. To your good health and wellness from Sunny Bay. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, 
healthy and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? You know, I will say one thing here. I've been watching, for the third time, episodes of the early 2000s series Farscape, which mixed live actors with puppets made by Jim Henson. I think the acting in there was really, really good. Surprisingly good. And, of course, the situation's wild, outrageous. But if you go to the core acting ability of the key players, it was pretty darn good. Tim, I'm sure you have a vast number of questions. So begin the vastness. Well, I'm just, I'm amazed at the amount of debris that was left behind in this incident, and yet whatever it was that was involved managed to get out of there. So how much, uh, and, and I know a lot of it was, was picked up and collected and, and you know carted off never to be seen again, but it, was there any kind of estimate on, on how much debris was actually left behind and any speculation on if this was a man-made aircraft of some kind, how it managed to limp away? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was uh, something that we ran across when we did the um, did the early documentary because obviously I went out to look at the fields. People have said, you know, why didn't you show us the fields in the documentary? Well, actually, we do. There's a shot at the beginning of the documentary, and and it's a panning shot, but it's uh, it's white sheep on white fields in the middle of winter with the sun out in a white sky, you know, and it does not look good on camera. It doesn't translate at all. But actually the four sheep fields total up to probably the size of a football pitch. Mm. Um, you know, so it's a fair-sized area. And when Erwell said it was covered, as I said, some of the sheets that he described uh, away from the newspaper article were two metres, six feet sheets and there was a few of them and you know clearly there was a lot of debris concentrated where this thing had exploded out of the forest obviously from the top and all the wood and the timber and the trees and the bits of other stuff that it picked up that all got exploded across the first field but then the rest of it there's just tons of it everywhere that's why Erwell thought he'd had a plane crash because he looked at what was covering the fields and estimated there was enough there for a fairly significant aircraft. So you're probably not looking at something the size of a Boeing 747, but certainly there was enough there for him to get the authorities involved because there was an awful lot of debris. And then you get to somebody like British Aerospace in this original report, uh, they actually said to Gary, they said, you need to go back and find something with a cockpit and engines sticking out of the ground. 
they actually put that that was the kind of language they used and they said mm. you know we have no idea what is capable of losing that amount of debris and flying off so needless to say we included that in the documentary so there are a lot of unanswered questions um you know we're not just relying on one or two little threads of evidence you know by the time you start to to look at it in you know the big picture things really start to stack up yeah when you when you you know when you start looking at the big picture uh, and you look at all the evidence things you know really start to stack up you know there's there's um yeah there's just a tremendous amount of 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 unanswered questions uh, of course, during that time, 1983, uh, uh, there was there was all kinds of uh, black budget, top secret uh, uh, aircraft research being done. But uh, you know, you had mentioned at some point, uh, you know, you know, could it have been? Uh, a stealth aircraft could it have been a drone? But I mean, the the drones that we have today were really just a dream. Still in 1983, at least you know, as far as I know. Uh, and and if they did have drones, they were they they were small, nothing capable of producing that kind of debris field. Uh, if it did run into the tops of a of a forest. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the best measurement we've got is the estimate of the cutting. And if the cutting through the top of the trees is 20 to 25 feet wide, mm. then either that's the wingspan or that's the lower part of the fuselage that hit the trees. But then there's if it's if it's the wingspan, then there's not enough material in the debris field for just wings alone. So, like, if that's how big the plane is, so you imagine a plane, you know, 25-foot wingspan, that's only going to create enough debris for a field or maybe two fields at the tops. But this did four fields and the forest, and there was still enough of the plane to fly off. So you're looking at, at, at a huge thing, you know, even, even some of the modern-day stealth bombers and the stealth fighters would struggle to create a debris field on that scale. Um, and the technology and the metal formula and everything that's, you know, that's going on here, it's just completely wrong for that time period. You know, uh, had it been late 90s going into early 2000s, yeah, I could have accepted that. That's, you know, fine. But you're talking about something here that was probably developed from the mid-70s up to 1980, 81, because the development period for any kind of technology is quite long. You know, it can be four years, five years, six years, it can even be 10 years, you know. So you're talking about a long development period before it even gets into the sky. Now, this thing was flying. It was up there and it was doing whatever it was it does in 1983. So you've got to look all the way back. You know, you've got to say, well, what were they developing in 73, 74, you know, 75 that could possibly fit the bill? Then you're also looking at other factors like, okay, what 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 did the U.S. have over here in terms of technology then? Uh, what was stationed here and what were they experimenting with? What did the British have back then? What did we have in terms of technology? What were we experimenting with? So you, you're going into you're going into unknown territory uh, in that sense. Um, 
But the people I've spoken to um, and the people that Gary spoke to, people at British Aerospace, other people involved in the the aerospace industry, uh, people who are connected to the military, absolutely none of them have the foggiest idea what this stuff is. Or if they do, they're still sworn to secrecy. They're still not saying. Um, I'm not going to say who, but we did speak to somebody very, very recently who... um, was actually RAF, uh, was a pilot, and was flying around the time of this crash. Um, obviously, this person is still, you know, sworn to absolute secrecy. Uh, they were allowed to comment on certain aspects of what was going on in terms of stealth technology, and that kind of sort of got us wondering whether the debris was something to do with that. But other than that, um, you know, they couldn't really pass comment or identify any of the other material. So it's still a mystery. And that's official. <laughs> as as well, though, if this was a conventional aircraft, albeit a top-secret aircraft, uh, you know, there, there were chunks of metal and uh, and you know things like that left behind but there's no wiring no chunks of glass pieces of rubber things that you would normally find with a conventional aircraft yeah yeah the rest of the debris was definitely missing pretty much the only thing that anybody remembers anybody at all and the only thing that appeared in the original newspaper article is the comments about this vast sea of metal debris. So clearly, you know, the uh, aluminium foam, the lanthium, and the the metallic foil, that is the bulk of the debris. In the newspaper article, there's a mention of something that looks a bit like a girder that might have had some writing on it, and then possibly something else that looks like an aerial. But there's there's even a mystery there, because... For the documentary, we went back to the chap who wrote that article, Andrew Chapman, at at the Sunday Express. Let's continue with that article and more with Mark, Gene, and Tim. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. 
With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www.silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com. Have you heard the warning from the dead doctors don't lie guy? I'm talking about Dr. Joel Wallach. He says if you have a four-inch medical chart, if you take prescription drugs for high cholesterol or high blood pressure, arthritis, joint pains, or other health issues, the medical profession is failing you. They're using you for an ATM machine. That's what he says. He has a free lecture revealing what pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know. There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. And it's all in his free lecture called Deadly Recipe. You want it free? Call him toll-free at 855-79-YOUNG. You ready? 855-79-YOUNG. Dr. Joel Wallach, the dead doctors don't lie guy says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there. Hi, this is James Fox, director of The Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You were mentioning an article there that was written yeah. by a, a particular individual. Mark, tell us more. Well, well, it was the article that was sent to Gary um, from the Clippings Agency, The Strange Debris from the Sky. It was written by a, a chap called Andrew Chapman. Needless to say, fabulous. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll pursue him as a source. Uh, so when we were doing the documentary in 2008, the researchers contacted Andrew. And Andrew said, oh, yeah, he said, I keep all my notebooks. He said, I've still got my notebooks from the 1980s. He said, give me a few days and I'll go back and I'll have a look and see where that story came from. So sure enough, a couple of days later, we get a phone call and Andrew's like, you 
just not going to believe this. We're like, oh, why is that? He said, well, I've gone back to my notebooks and they don't tell me where the story came from at Mm. all. He said, it would appear that we came back after the New Year break. So we came back after the New Year holiday, which I think was around about the 3rd or 4th of January. And somebody was going around the office handing out stories that needed writing up. So he thinks, Andrew thinks, that somebody handed him the story and said, could you write that up for us? Which he did. And that's how it found its way into his notebook. But he said the source, the actual source for the story, we don't know. So I've always speculated that it was something that was leaked in effect, by either somebody in the police team or somebody in the Air Force team. I think somebody somewhere, or even possibly the local press, maybe somebody in the local press got hold of it. But that would be a bit strange because the local press never ran the story. Nobody else ran the story. So that then makes it a bit hard to understand where they beam with some writing on it and the aerial comes from. When I spoke to Erwell, he didn't remember either of those things being in the crash. So, you know, in some ways, the inconsistencies actually prove the truth of what we're dealing with. If everything just added up and it was all the same and there was no, you know, contradictions or inconsistencies, you'd just assume the entire thing was made up. But there's so many little bits and bobs that are different that don't quite fit in. But certainly there's no engines, there's no structure, no rubber tyres, like you say, no wires. You know, if the wings got knocked off, where's the rest of the wing? You know, there's no cockpit, there's no controls. There was a point where we wondered if this rubbery, this green rubber thing was electrically conductive. Maybe it just acted like a huge circuit, intelligent circuit, on the outside of the craft. So you could send signals down it like a giant circuit board and send those signals anywhere. We even theorise that might be the case at one point, but the analysis we've got thus far doesn't seem to indicate that, that that's... A possibility but very strange how on earth anything can function without all the rest of it you know and nothing else has turned up you know there are there is no crashed vehicle anywhere as far as anybody can tell looking at one of the pieces of debris and photographs that you've got in your book and i'm referring to uh page 36 two fragments of the foil honeycomb. Now, of course, I'm just basing this off of these photographs, yeah. but the the top piece reminds me, and especially during uh, the the holiday seasons, you know, when when you're getting a lot of uh, material that's uh, packed, there is um, a type of cardboard that is used to to, to protect an item that. It's uh, uh, like honeycombed, and it's fairly, uh, and my descriptions are, are, are you know, wholly inadequate, in, in but it's, it's like honeycombed, and then with a, a flat cardboard on the top and the bottom, and it's made to absorb impacts. Mm. The middle honeycombed uh, uh, parts of the cardboard would, you know, crumple and absorb any of the uh, uh, force. And that picture reminds me a lot of that type of cardboard. Hey, folks, we're going to have a cardboard <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> hey, well, you know, you it know, almost we- reminds me of some of the toys I used to buy when I was a kid. They had these cardboard spaceships that you would assemble mm. from cardboard. And then you'd be able to enter it and pretend to be flying your spaceship. 
Of course, they were so badly built that it would last for about three days before you'd have to order another one. I think possibly the the best view of of that piece of foil, because it's the same piece of foil, there's only one of each piece, is possibly on page 34, because if you look at that photograph, you realise that it's it's much thicker at the front. I think it's it's about three or four centimetres thick at the front, and then it narrows quite severely to probably less than half a centimetre at the back. And also on that particular photograph, you can see that there are chambers, literally thousands of chambers inside there, which honeycomb shaped so that's quite you know that gives you a good idea of what it looks like mm-hmm. and then the, the blown up photograph that you're referring to on 36 the bottom photograph which clearly shows it as being like you say crumpled foil chambers it's like a long sliver of that that comes off the site at roswell that this metal detector chap found it's it's that particular specific type of material but um, i don't know uh, it, both me, Gary, and everybody else that's looked at this thinks that, that it, it is packing. It's not designed to take an impact, I can assure you. The metal is. The metal's fabulous. It's like armour plating. Okay, it's it's the metal itself that it's the metal that, that acts as armour plating. So it's thought by most of the experts that this this uh, honeycomb substance is it gives it gives the body of the vehicle its its shape and its substance um, without significantly adding any of any weight to it um so there's no strength in 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 the honeycomb foil the strength is is all in the metal are you guys still there yeah yeah uh, go go ahead wish wish we wish we're still here (laughs) Uh, so i mean if if you were to and i and you probably haven't done this you know because you're this is this is a valuable piece of material, but I just wonder, you know, if you were to press down on top of uh, the 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 flat part of that, would then the 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 honeycomb material compress slightly and absorb the energy? I fully and you fully should ask that because I can actually I can pass comment. There's a, there's a photograph on page 44 of the case, the actual case that contains the fragments, which is interesting because that actually does give you some kind of scale. Um, and the biggest fragment that Gary recovered is in that case. And when you look at it, you can quite clearly see that it's convex. You know, mm-hmm. it curves upwards. Well, when Gary had that, one of the things he did do was put it on the floor and stamp on it. <laughs> so funnily enough, I call it the stamp test. You know, the the sheet metal, not the foil, because I presume the foil, like I say, is not designed to take impact, but the sheet metal, and that's a huge piece of lanthium. That's the biggest piece he's got. That, when you stamp on it, pushes back. Hmm. So you can stamp on it, and there's a tiny fractional amount of giving it, but it's impossible, impossible to flatten it or to bend it. Um, Even the aluminium, the aluminium foam, uh, Gary attempted to fold that, and it took an enormous amount of effort just to put a crease in it because he wanted to put a line in one end of it so he could cut along the line. So this this metal stuff is pretty indestructible, uh, but clearly not clearly not the foil. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that being said, then the impact of this crash must have been tremendous in order to get this kind of debris. Well, it's, it's, uh, like I said earlier on in the interview, it might not be necessarily to do with um, 
the force of the impact. It's more to do with the nature, mm-hmm. the nature of the impact. Um, I mean, let's face it, you can't get anything more random than a tree. Um, if you smack into a tree, especially if you go low enough down the trunk, you are dealing with some extraordinarily strong forces. You know, trees can bend and stand gale force wind and, and all sorts of things. Um, and some of these trees were snapped. Some had been stripped of the bark and stripped of the branches. Um, some of the smaller trees had been knocked over and uprooted. Um, so the crash impact itself was quite considerable um but i suspect it was low speed so you're talking about low speed um low velocity impacts just a lot of them so literally it kind of just battered away the bottom of this craft cracked everything up broke everything and then of course as soon as the craft then tries to continue you've then got the rush of air it's it's no longer aerodynamic so whatever it is that's been cracked and broken and impacted and hit that's all going to get torn off the minute it tries to exit exit the scene Uh, that clearly seems to be what has happened We'll find out more of what's happened with Mark Ali, Gene Steinberg, Tim Swartz. You're in The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you love reading about the mysteries of the universe? Do you wonder what secrets are hidden in the shadows of our own planet? If so, you won't want to miss these two amazing books by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. In Mimics, The Others Among Us, you'll explore the world of the mimics of man, beings that can look like us but are not. They've been among us since the beginning of history, hiding in plain sight, influencing our culture in ways we can scarcely imagine. In Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters, you'll discover the so-called hard evidence of UFOs that's been available for study this entire time, but for the most part, has been ignored. These two books will open your eyes to a hidden reality that has been right in front of our eyes all along. That's Mimics, The Others Among Us, and Alien Artifacts, Incredible Evidence of Exotic Material from UFO Encounters by Tim R. Swartz and Sean Castile. Available now on Amazon.com. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, 
Here's Jane Steinberg. So, Mark, I'm wondering through all this, we have all this debris from something, but we don't have anything that shows a crew, a interior of some sort with interior accoutrements such as chair or a control panel or anything technological that might be used in producing some kind of flying device. Just some sheets of whatever. Yeah, basically that's that's what we've got. We've just got a, a tremendous number of extremely expensive pieces of metal. You know, I t- there was one website, uh, which shall remain nameless, that got very sensational, um, and they put the story out as per the documentary. And they actually finished the story with this big silver disc sticking out of trees with two alien bodies hanging out of it. Um, but they basically made that up. You know, it didn't. That's not what happened. Uh, part of the beauty of the story, part of the mystery of the story, is we don't have the rest of it. And clearly from a military perspective if this is one of ours there aren't that many vehicles known that would stay airborne not after this and that's a general comment that's generally been observed by people involved in the case so there's nothing impacted anywhere else in that particular welsh valley and in order to get out of the valley you have to climb to get above the height of the mountains so that's something that this thing clearly did because he didn't leave anything else behind and there have been, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in a thing that's, that's known as, as a UFO triangle. It's the Welsh Triangle, where you've got low valleys that are below the radar level, and things are regularly seen coming up out of, the, out of Cardigan Bay. These lights rise up out of the bay uh, to the point where the local RNLI, the lifeboat station, have got the, the Air, Air Force phone number. And when any of these things are seen coming up, they just ring the airbase and say, hang on, we've got one flying now. And they come up out of the ocean. There's been witnesses that have seen these things. There's a lot of witnesses in Wales that Gary has interviewed that have seen these things. And they tend to fly up the coast. They tend to fly inland. And then when they get to the top of the triangle, the top line of the triangle is, funnily enough, uh, Liverpool, Manchester and the Mersey Valley. It's where I live. You mentioned, yeah. what's it called, car? Cardigan Bay? Yes. Um, Cardigan it's... Bay, it's like a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> or a jacket or something. Uh, so this is a, this, a, this space filled with shirts? No, I mean, the funny thing is uh, we actually have a place over here called Cardigan uh, in Wales, and uh, th- that's not where the cardigan was invented. You're into the weird world of uh, British linguistics there. Now, this particular bay, I mean, if you look at the British Isles, it's probably useful to tell people where this thing happened. If you look at the British Isles, you look at sort of the mainland, um, sort of halfway down on the left-hand side, this this part of the country that juts out called Wales. And if you're imaginative and you sort of look at it, the angle, the, the, the island of Anglesey looks like a pig's ear and then it goes down and you've got like a pig's snout sticking out at the bottom. So it looks a bit like a pig's head. Well, Anglesey and Cardigan Bay and Clanilla are about halfway down the brow of the pig. So it's about halfway between the island of Anglesey and, say, Cardiff, which is at the bottom of, of, of Wales. They're sort of halfway between the two. Um, so it was. it's worth saying that. I mean, obviously, we'd show a map and give a location in the book, uh, but that's where they are. And this bay, you know, has, has um, unidentified water-based 
you know, um, UAPs, as they're now affectionately known, uh, that rise up out of it. Um, and, and they are seen quite regularly. A lady came to me at a conference and she said, uh, I was an art college student, she said, in Aberystwyth. And I, it could even have been the same time when this crash happened, the same beginning of January 83, she said. And, and I woke up one day, I opened my curtains and I could see a light out, out in the bay. She said, so I had my camera handy and I grabbed my camera and then all of a sudden this thing came up out of the bay. So I photographed it. Now, needless to say, she didn't have anything with her at this conference. So I said, look, you know, here's my number, here's my contact details. Please send me more information and send me a scan of the photo. Anyway, I never heard anything else. I never heard anything else after that, uh, which is a shame. But there are a lot of very similar stories that have been told to Gary and his uh, ufology group. There's, there's been quite a few stories from that area. Um, and like I say, these things are seen quite regularly. You know, one thing I admire about the British and the language is that you have place names where it seems like they strung a bunch of random letters together, <laughs> struggled to pronounce them. And you think, is this a place that you live in or is it someone's password? <laughs> yeah, um, Wales. Wales is the place for that. Uh, I'm going to abbreviate abbreviate the world's longest place name, which I think is on Anglesey. It's Lantisilling Gogogoff, but it's got goodness knows how many other letters. I can't remember how many letters long it is, but it's huge. And I, I struggle with the Welsh language anyway. Having just written a book on King Arthur as well, I mean that you know archaic medieval Welsh. Don't even go there. Um, so I, I feel your pain. You know. <laughs> oh dear. You know, and you might as well speak Klingon. <laughs> well, actually, the British probably probably do find learning Klingon quite easy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Clanilla, where the, the village where this thing came down, it's spelt with double L <laughs> at the beginning of it. Double uh, L-A-N-I-L-A-R. So, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, by the book. That's all I'm going to say is by the book. Uh, then I don't have to say the name. <laughs> Or you could buy the book and pick up names you couldn't believe exist. Tim? Mm. You had mentioned earlier in the program that uh, shortly after this incident, uh, uh, authorities came in and uh, cut the woods down. This isn't the first time that that's happened in Wales. And uh, I'm trying to think of, is it uh, ben, Benbow? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, uh, the, there, was, there was another book that Philip Battle released uh, uh, where after the family had videotaped uh, a series of very mysterious lights over these woods, about two weeks later, the authorities came in and cut all the woods down. Uh, yes, it does seem to be a repeating pattern. Um, I think I've said it before, there's definitely a playbook in operation here. When you look at the way they dealt with Roswell, and then you look at the way they dealt with this particular incident at Clanilla, then you start to look, like you say, a little bit wider at other incidents. There is, you know, clearly on a shelf somewhere, there's a green MOD manual for how to deal with this kind of incident. And they, they play it that way pretty much the same every time um you know so you can predict what's going to happen which i think was uh, you know that was what was in gary's mind when he, he rather urgently wanted to get back to the site 
um, and recover as much as he possibly could before anybody else got there. Um, you know, Irwell said it, had he known what was going to happen, he would have called Gary in first before he mentioned it to anybody else. But, you know, hindsight's a great thing. Um, certainly it's a shame we don't actually have any photographs of the debris on site. You know, that would have just been miraculous, um, but we don't. But yes, other things, yeah, there are other things that have uh, striking similarities to this. Um, between Gary and Philip, I think they've, they've pretty much got Wales covered. When they uh, when they cut the uh, woods down, did they cart the trees off, or did they just cut them down, just leave them in place? Oh no no no! This is a uh, this is very serious. This because um, Gary did go back. He did go back and visit Erwell for a third visit. You know, as as had been arranged. Uh, and Gary said, when you got there, that all the trees were gone. So they mm. were take they were taken off site. Worse than that, there was a big yellow bulldozer still parked on the Forestry Commission land. So they weren't satisfied with just getting rid of all of the, the greenery. They were clearly, you know, bulldozing the ground as well. So the, the odds of actually finding anything there now are probably zero. I mean, 40 years on, I'd be fairly certain they would replant it and um, it will have regrown. So, you know, you're, you're into a, a difficult situation there. But no, they were deadly serious. They really got stuck in and they really shifted the stuff away. We're going to shift something else away for a few minutes, which is this discussion. Then we'll be back talking about Europe's Roswell or whatever it was with Gene and Tim and Mark. You're in the Pedicast. <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that, but I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older, or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com gcnfood.com
Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. As Dr. Wallach says, we all have nutrient deficiencies in our diets and must supplement with 90 essential nutrients in proper balances. At no cost or obligation, get a personal certified holistic health coach to help you develop a supplement program based on Dr. Wallach's recommendations. Call Linda at 833-VITAL90. That number to call is 833-848-2590. That's 833-VITAL90. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Mineral Doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthrodex for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for Life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Is there an official UK government explanation for this? That's an easy question to answer at the moment. No. Um... The freedom of information request that went in asked some really specific questions. I'm I'm probably going to write an article about that at some point in the new year um, because it's probably worth putting that out there. But it it, it asked all of the best questions you could ask about it and just got the standard no answer back. No, we have no knowledge of this. We, you know, know nothing sort of thing. Contrary to popular belief and what certain other ufologists have said, we don't have an official department if you like to deal with this it's, there isn't a Mulder and Scully over here there never has been yes things do get passed around the MOD uh, but most of it actually ends up going sort of on a base by base basis if you look at things like the Rendlesham incident and stuff like that you know a lot of things that happen happen in military bases are controlled by those particular military bases which is where we're going next with our freedom of information acts we're going to scatter out a bit and go a bit wider um, and see if anybody else knows anything but no there isn't really uh, as i said there'll be a green book somewhere on a shelf marked mod for how to deal with a situation like this but you know beyond that i i don't think there's any kind of department dealing with it other than perhaps the men in black but i don't think they're government i think they're military yeah 
yeah, I'm going to go with that. But where would the Men in Black be involved with this? Why would they be involved? Because it potentially is the recovery of extremely sensitive material. Doesn't really matter where it comes from, I guess, whether it's top secret or alien or somewhere in between. And that's a familiar pattern, I believe, for the United States as well. You know, the same sort of guys turn up with the same kind of agenda and, and you know, behave in basically the same way. I don't believe, as some people do, that these, these men in black are aliens. I, I don't think they're, you know, aliens dressed up to look like humans or shapeshifters or whatever uh you know i'm I'm more inclined to go down the movie route (laughs) i think the men in black are as human as the rest of us they just know stuff you know they they know more than us um and they're doing a job at a level uh that's beyond our pay grade at the moment Um, i wonder sometimes with men in black that they are only around just to fool people. It's a disinformation thing. Well, there must be something secret because they've got all these weird guys in the black suits running around talking to people about their flying saucer sightings or whatever. It has nothing to do with reality. Well, Gary seemed to think it was fairly real. The guys that turned up on his front doorstep, he was he was seriously not impressed. Um, you know, and you are talking now back in the 1980s, so, you know, the popularized, popularization of such characters hadn't really occurred back then. If you pay attention to the UFO field they had, they've been talking about men in black in the UFO yeah. field since the 1950s. I was going to say the first book was the 1950s. They hadn't turned up over here. Uh, we'd, we'd not had any uh, contact with them. By popularization, I mean, yes, it appeared in print, but I don't think the majority of people would necessarily associate them automatically with the military or the UFO community. Secret Service, yes. Strange Department, yes. Um, you know, that's where the theorization that these things are not human, they're alien, that's where that started creeping in. But, yeah, no, I, Gary was definitely, you know, the, he was he was positive that these people were real and that they were quite serious, you know, um, and they wanted the material back. It's funny how he told me, actually, because he could have told me on camera, you know, we could have included it in the documentary, uh, but he chose to wait until the cameras were off. He doesn't mind the fact the story's out now, clearly. Otherwise, you know, he would have said something about it. But back then, he didn't really want to include it in the documentary. Because, frankly, in the UK, I, th- I think most ufologists thought the idea was it was a bit flaky, um, the idea of the men in black. But he was genuinely shocked, you know, when they turned up on his doorstep. And as I said, he kind of told me the story off the record, um, you know, because he just didn't know where it was going. So, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I do remember the book. I do remember the book that had the men in black in. Um, I might even have a copy of it somewhere. Uh, they knew too much about flying saucers. Yes, that's it. They knew right. too much. Yeah, that's it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. That's where we learned about Albert K. Bender, learned about men yeah. in black in the other part of the world, things like that. I think it was the first and probably the last totally serious book that gray barker wrote yeah i remember the cover because it had you know black shadows uh, shaded onto the cover it was quite a, a very a very 1950s cover i think it was yellow and blue on white with these black shadows i can remember the cover quite distinctly 
Um, I'll have to go rooting. I've got ten and a half thousand books in my library. It's in there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> well, in the case of Gray Barker, what he did over the years was become so frustrated with the field, he started poking fun at it. While pretending mm. to be serious, he'd pull a few stunts, as they say. Yeah, that, that's what I suspected. Uh, but this, this this visit on Gary definitely wasn't a stunt. I think it, it was quite serious. And true to the word, they've never they've never reemerged. They've never come back. Uh, but then for Irwell to observe the same kind of characters on site, I mean, he, he said the cleanup operation was like a scene from a James Bond movie. You know, so uh, clearly, you know, these guys are involved, but on a, on a very high level. They actually, by the way, had a revised edition of They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers where John Keel had an introduction. That's the one you can buy now or try to buy it. <laughs> do, do you know, I had no idea it had been release, re-released. Uh, if I've got it anywhere, it would probably be my dad's copy, be my dad's old copy, because um, he, he was the one that got me interested in all this. Uh, he had... Um, Flying Saucers Have Landed, uh, George Adamski and Desmond Leslie had that uh, first edition. Uh, I think it only had a blue canvas cover, uh, and I read that when I was growing up. Um, I wasn't that impressed by it, but it kind of got me into the subject matter, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm looking at the cover right now. Blue cover, dark shadows, flying saucers, The true story of what happened to certain researchers and investigators who found out where the saucers come from. That's the original cover. Wow, that's it. That's the one. That's as I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I used to have that book. I think I actually bought a copy. I mean, later I knew Barker and he would have sent me one. He was not averse to sending me copies of his books. But then... It's something I bought somewhere, probably probably on the remainder stand. You know, when a book was out of print or they had remainder copies that weren't sold, they'd stick them on a closeout rack. And that's yeah, where that's... I frequented. That's where I went to get a lot of the UFO books that I collected in the early days. I didn't have money to spend as a teenager, so I got the closeouts for a dollar apiece. We'll yeah. get into more of many things with Mark, Gene, and Tim. You're in The Pedicast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Most folks don't realize this fact. Our country is only four missed meals away from chaos, and those meals can vanish fast. In a national emergency, fragile supply chains break down and will wipe grocery store shelves clean in a matter of hours. Before this happens, there's something you should do today. Let's stock up on emergency food storage. My Patriot Supply is the company millions of American families trust for their emergency supplies. You should, too. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each kit contains delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. My Patriot Supply also sells large solar generators, gravity-powered water filtration systems, off-grid room heaters for when the power goes out, heirloom seeds, and other survival necessities. Order by 3 p.m. and your items ship the same day, fast. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now. Those who know what's coming, prepare before the chaos starts. MyPatriotSupply.com
USA News Update. It's Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, and the gifts are hopefully bought, wrapped, and under your tree. Still some stores open right now for 11th hour shoppers. Now, as for the weather, folks in the Dakotas will have a white Christmas. Not so much in the Northeast. New York City, for example, the high will reach 47 degrees. Boston, a high this Sunday of 45, with no precipitation in the forecast. And in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, a high of 76 for Christmas Eve, 77 on Christmas Day, so Santa will no doubt arrive in his big red bathing suit. More now from USA's John Schaefer. If you live in the Midwest and the Northeast, you may find your dreams of a white Christmas dash this year. The remaining patches of snow on the ground in those regions are expected to disappear by Christmas Day on Monday. I'm John Schaefer. And I'm Laura Winters, USA News. Have you ever watched a video on the internet and found yourself waiting for the skip the ad button? The reason this takes a few seconds is because the video delivery companies get to collect impression commission, and the viewer never sees the advertisement. The company still pays full price to run the ad. Does this sound like a scam to you? Is there any wonder why internet ads are so ineffective? For over 100 years, radio has been a proven source for companies' messages. Radio listeners are engaged and want to support the companies that sponsor the shows they're so passionate about. Simple companies like window treatments, security, pillow companies, and more have been able to break away from the big box stores building multi-million dollar businesses. Find out what radio can do for your business. Call 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. That's advertise at GCNlive.com. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the health insurance helpline can help you get it. We specialize in helping the self-employed and people just like you that need affordable health insurance to get it. We have short and long-term health insurance plans and some even cover dental, vision, and prescription drugs. Don't take a risk with your family family's health insurance, it's not worth it. If you're self-employed or now need affordable health insurance, call right now and learn for free how to get it. Listen, affordable health insurance plans for everyone just like you are a free phone call away. So give us a shout right now. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. That's 800-670-0946. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. You'll notice, Mark, that when Tim does our closer there, our little stinger, note that he's trying to imitate a man in black. (laughs) Now, parenthetically, of course, the main character of Gray Barker's book, was Albert K. Bender. Bender came out with a book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men, where he said the beings he contacted were aliens from the planet Kaik, spelled with a Z. Don't ask me to explain how Kaik is not Kazik, but that's where it was. So it's, it's not just us Brits that have a strange way of, of spelling things. <laughs> 
Oh, dear. No, it was Albert Bender and Gray Barker, because in Flying Saucers and the Three Men, Barker published it, and Barker had a very distinctive writing style, and you could tell he heavily edited that book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying... I was just thinking back, just kind of reminiscing on the... I think I got my copy from... um, probably from one of the conferences we used to have a great conference here called probe that's where i met gary um, and you used to be able to find sort of back catalog books and stuff uh, on a lot of the stalls there and i built my my collection uh, up by buying stuff over the years from such uh, second-hand traders um at, at events like that it was a fun time i'll tell you the <laughs> early days of the ufo field when we were all innocent well, the, f- the first UFO I ever saw was uh, over here. We had a summer, 1976. It's a very memorable summer. We used to get real summers and real winters. Uh, and 1976 was so hot. It just stayed hot day and night. And uh, it baked all of the surrounding farmland solid. And I went out camping with some friends of mine from, from school at the time. Um, I think it was 14. And we all piled off up to this farmer's field with the old-style canvas tent, you know, with the wooden pegs. Uh, and we got there suddenly discovered to our horror that we couldn't put the tent up because you couldn't get the pegs in the ground. Um, they were just splitting. So we ended up spreading the tent out as a ground sheet, and we all fell asleep in our sleeping bags on top of it. So under the stars, fabulous, fabulous star fields. Over here, you get lots of light pollution from the cities and what have you. Fabulous, fabulous star fields, loads of them, uh, just, you know, because light pollution from the local cities uh, tends to obliterate the skies most in most places. But this was out, out in a village way out in the countryside, the middle of nowhere, uh, and we're all asleep. I don't know what it was that woke me up, but it was definitely in the early hours, um, and you could see all these stars. Uh, back in the 70s, we didn't have things like satellites and what have you, so you, things didn't tend to move. Um, but I... <laughs> I sort of woke up and I'm looking across at the horizon and you can see this really bright star looks like a planet, but it's moving and it's coming towards me and it's coming across the sky. I'm thinking, what on earth is that? It stayed really high up. It stayed the size of a, a star, a pinprick of light. And then when it got directly over the top of me, it just went bang, 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 bang from, from horizon to horizon at huge speed right across the star field. And then it shot back to where it was in the middle over the top of me and disappeared. And I'm like, what on earth was that? What did I just see? So at that point, at that point as a teenager, I suddenly started to pay considerably more attention shall we say to to what was going on up there a forward to 1981 um and i'd finished doing i'm I'm a professional drummer or was a professional drummer for many many years i was doing sessions in the studios in liverpool and manchester i'm coming back in the early hours it's two o'clock in the morning and close to where i live here there's a hill there's a big hill you can go on top of the hill and you can see the whole valley from sort of Liverpool to Manchester. You can see all of it. Uh, so I'm on top of this hill, um, winding down, because I think I'd just done a, a sort of 12, 13-hour studio session. And as I'm looking out towards Liverpool, there's a coal-powered fire station, uh, power station, power station down there. And it's billowing out these big clouds of steam from the top of the cooling towers. And all of a sudden, through the top of the, the steam over this tower comes something that looks... 
a bit like a helicopter, but clearly isn't. Nobody in the right mind flies a helicopter over the top of one of these towers because the steam's coming out the same temperature as a kettle, you know, as it's 40 degrees plus. Anyway, this thing comes flying through the steam and it's lit up like um, like one of the tiny scout ships in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So you've got these lights that are scanning. They're scanning everywhere. Uh, most of them are white, but every now and again, they just suddenly change to red and then blue and then white and then and they're going all the time. And this thing's moving quite slowly. So it moves up the north bank of the river. And I'm watching it for a couple of minutes. And it gets sort of level with the town, with Warrington. So it's it's outlined now by the light pollution in the background. You can see a, a sort of shape. And then all of a sudden, all the lights go off. And it looks to be about the size of a, of a small truck. It's about the size of a seven and a half ton truck. Just for an instant. And then all of a sudden it shoots vertically up hugely fast speed, it just vanishes into the night sky. It's like, you know, stars with a few clouds around sort of sky. Anyway, this thing just shoots up and disappears. And the funny thing is, 11 years later, there's a book came out called Mysteries of the Mersey Valley by Jenny Randalls, who's quite a famous uh, UK ufologist person. And on the cover of this book is a flying saucer with a light coming down on the same trajectory as the power station. So I buy this book and I'm going through it. And sure enough, there's a plane coming into Liverpool Air airport. Uh, and as the pilot's looking down, he can see something that looks a bit like an old fashioned opaque light bulb, a circular thing that's hovering below him. So he comes in, he files a report and, you know, mentions this UFO UFO. And then, Adjacent to the industrial estate where this thing was seen hovering is a campsite on top of a hill. And there's a group of witnesses there who see the same thing but side on. And they said all of a sudden this glowing shape switched all its lights on. And they described the same thing, these white lights changing to blue and red. And it shot over them, over the top of them, and headed off down the River Mersey and then through the steam on the power station. So 34 years after the whole thing happened, I've actually stitched all the accounts together for the book. So that is probably my best UFO encounter because you've got a witness over on the Wirral and then you've got the witnesses over on the hill the campers then you've got me down this end and they see the beginning of it and i see the end of it now when you join all of those eyewitnesses together you've got a straight line of about 14 miles and it, it runs east west so this thing very clearly in the space of about five or ten minutes came shooting from their direction straight through the steam and onto my direction before it disappeared so you've got a complete account now, it's taken like i said 34 years to put that together but I was just amazed. It's incredible. I saw that. I was absolutely convinced that there's something going on. And that was 1981. So that was actually two years before the crash in Wales. Um, as I said earlier in the interview, it's it's the north line, if you like. It's the top part of the triangle where these things turn up. That this, this thing was flying sort of, if you like, down the top edge of the triangle. And I'd seen that. So without me even realising it, I was involved in what was going on at that particular time. I never actually found out that anything had crashed until 10, 15 years later when I when I met Gary. So that, that if you like, was... It's funny, really. We've, ju we've just put the introduction at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
So it's like one of those stories where it starts at the end and moves very slowly towards the beginning. Or you have multiple flashbacks where you have no idea where you're at. You know, like the next scene, it's 15 years earlier, but normally there would be a sign saying 15 years ago, but there isn't. So you have to think, wait a minute, how come they're wearing different clothing and they look to be younger? Tell us that's 15 years ago. I guess they want the people who watch them to stop just slumbering when they watch the movie or TV show and think what's going on. We've got Mark Ollie, Tim Swartz, Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. With After the Paracast, you never know what's going to happen next. After the Paracast features color commentary, special interviews, and further conversations with Paracast guests. With Paracast Plus, you can download a very special enhanced version of the Paracast also. We do offer exclusive music, videos, and more features are coming. To get more info about subscribing, please visit theparacast.plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. The Silver Lungs Generator is the only all-encompassing professional class product for producing endless colloidal and ionic silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. With recent regulations threatening the sale of silver-based supplements, now you can secure yourself and your family by producing your own silver solutions anywhere, anytime. You can have the peace of mind knowing that you can create endless supply of silver anytime, anywhere, for any application. The Silver Lungs Generator is a one-time purchase that requires no maintenance nor replacement parts for the life of the unit. This product was designed to be an invaluable part of your vital preparations. For a detailed report on the differences between ionic silver, colloidal silver, and what most silver solution manufacturers are producing, please visit our website at www. Silverlungs.com for more information on why you should be producing your own silver solutions right from your home forever. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few. In one month, my blood pressure dropped significantly. I no longer get chest pain after exercise. It's amazing, and I ordered my second bottle. The reviews are spot on. My target is to get off BP meds, and if it keeps going like this, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. So far, a great product is what it claims to be. Great product. A few days in, and I could feel a difference for certain. Not checking medical stats yet. I know this is really working by how I feel. We'll continue to take this product. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. 
I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who help people that have been injured or wronged. If you've been involved in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident or injured at work, you have rights and you may be entitled to money for your suffering. Don't accept an offer you get from an insurance company until you talk to a lawyer. And we represent some of the best personal injury lawyers you can find. Tough lawyers that will fight to win your case. And they're so good they stake their reputation on it by only getting paid if you win. So if you've been in a serious car, truck, or motorcycle accident, or hurt on the job, find out today for free what kind of compensation you may be entitled to. Call the legal helpline right now. 800-524-3810-800-524-3810-800-524-3810. That's 800-524-3810. Jacques Vallée, you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we have one more segment on our main show with Mark Ali, author of many sorts of things, but including Europe's Roswell, 40 years since impact, which has George Adamski's fake flying saucer photo in the book. They did that, those photos, by the way, with hubcaps, with lamp lights and a few other things, and the base were either ping pong balls, golf balls, or GE light bulbs, depending on which fake you saw. Yeah, in, in, in honor of that, we did exactly the same thing when we came to do the uh, documentary in 2008. Uh, I bought a 1950s bed warmer, which is this circular flying saucer shaped thing that you, has a light bulb inside it. And you used to shove it in a bed and plug it in and it would heat up. Well, I got this 1950s bed warmer. I painted it the same shade of green as, as you know, the, the metal we had was and stuck, like you say, rubber balls on the bottom of it. I got my youngest lad to build a forest a little miniature forest and then the chap that was doing the camera work is one of my eldest sons he actually got hold of this thing on the end of a fishing line uh, and it looks superb in the documentary you see this amazing piece of you know high tech high expense special effects you know it flies in at the top corner it turns towards the camera and it zooms down and it smashes through the forest only at that point you get a little bit of cgi because you get a couple of explosions a load of debris we didn't think there was enough debris on it but that's what it is it's a model you know it's a model of a of a saucer and i've done many models for different productions over the years so i thought i'd use up some of the shots in the book mainly to show what this thing wasn't you know, at no point do we have any evidence that that's necessarily what it is. So I'm kind of playing devil's advocate with with the extra shots that are in there, which I hope people appreciate. (laughs) So Tim was about to ask a question, and then he was interrupted rudely by somebody (laughs) at the door. So Tim, we need to know, because of the kind of show we've been doing today with Mark, was it one or more of the men in black? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i mean uh with the men in black you know it's always been traditionally three but uh as in most cases it's actually usually just uh one maybe sometimes two and not necessarily men women in black as well uh jenny randall's uh, uh 
Mark had talked about Jenny Randall's earlier. She wrote a really good book um, about men in black, and a lot of the cases that she reported on involved uh, women, women in black. That sort of speaks even more to it being a, a department of the military um, rather than it being aliens um, dressed up. Uh. <laughs> of course, this is a spoiler, but in the first Men in Black film, Linda Fiorentino plays someone who becomes, towards the end of the film, a woman in black. I did want to ask a question, though, while we've got the time in the rest of the show here. This area in Wales, does it continue to see UFO activity? That's a very good question. And the the short answer to that is yes. Having, shall we say, reconnected with Gary over the publication of the book and the material that we're releasing, Gary has gone a lot further in giving information about the area and uh, there's there's a lot of stuff goes on. He himself has witnessed quite a lot of stuff. He's he's come very close to these craft, these hovering alien vehicles. He's actually come face to face with them on a number of occasions, because he lives in that area. You know, he lives in that part of Wales. And if you talk to the people in the villages, in isolated parts of Wales, then a lot of them have had you know, experiences of of things going on. So, in a sense, although people are aware of what the military are up to, obviously there's, you know, jet aircraft zipping up and down the valleys all the time and things going on with the local air bases, there is also something else distinctly different happening in that area that when you get up and close up close and personal with it um you know it clearly isn't human it's it's not one of ours mm-hmm. uh, it's something that somebody else is up to so yes yeah it is quite a, a hot spot for things happening it sounds like that gary's experience you could write a whole new book just on the stuff that he's gone through it's, it's funny with Gary. Um, he admits uh, himself in the things he's put into print over the years that, you know, he's not a researcher. He's not a writer in terms of books and things like that. He is a, a gatherer of information. You know, mm. he runs the local UFO group quite sharply, I dare say. You know, he, he's, he's on the ball, but he's not the sort of person that feels he can go that step further and, and start to publish stuff. He has gone on record. I mean, obviously, he's gone on record for the documentary in 2008, but he did a conference uh, over here where he was interviewed by somebody on, uh, I think it's on YouTube. You'll find it on YouTube. I believe it was 2018, the interview he did. He's older, you know, he's, he's 10 years older than the documentary but when they actually interviewed him he he talked a lot about the extra stories that he had but the story of this particular incident this europe's roswell the details never change he's so consistent even when he says things a different way or he puts in extra detail i mean i did go to that interview and i have expanded the book with material from that but he doesn't change the story at all you know it he's, he's a totally credible consistent uh, researcher and witness um, and if that wasn't the case well yeah I, I very much doubt i'd have gone as far as i have with the whole thing you know as, as a case now you've got a piece of this debris in a keychain yourself do you keep it safe and sound uh, <laughs> so so the men in black you know, won't sneak into your house sometime and try to uh, spirit it away? 
Uh, yeah, it's quite safe. I keep it in a... It's got its own tiny little flight case, and I do take it out quite regularly to events. Surprisingly enough, Philip, the publisher, managed to get hold of one of the key rings as well. They're not impossible to find within the ufo community like i said there was probably about a hundred of these key rings distributed um, and then philip also got three uh, sort of key ring size fragments uh, for analysis as well so um, there's a bit of this material floating around now more so than there was but no i keep mine i keep mine very uh, very safe uh, but it is accessible people can see it when i do events i do take it out with me so what next? I mean, what do you hope the future will bring you when it comes to this case? Uh, well, it'd be nice if the whole thing came full circle and the information we've gone thus far led to some kind of a conclusion. Uh, to keep it punchy, you know, uh, back to what I've said right through the interview, is it one of theirs, is it one of ours, or is it back-engineered? Uh, if we can answer that question, then I would say we've reached a suitable conclusion. So, uh, in a sense, we kind of know what it is, we just don't know where it comes from. So that would be my wish for the for the whole case, to be able to sort of round it off and just conclude it with a nice, punchy, sharp last chapter. But, you know, we're dealing with the MOD, uh, we're dealing with disclosure, and it might never happen. Hey, for those who want to find out more what Mark Ollie does, and it's a lot, where do they find you? Okay, really simple. If you want the publications that I do, go to Amazon. They're all on Amazon. There's nine books in total on there. So pay, click. A few days later, it comes zooming through your letterbox. Uh, if you want to see any of the back catalogue productions I've done, uh, television series, documentaries, go to Drake, Michigan on YouTube, and you'll find them all on YouTube. And if you want to contact me, I'm on Facebook. So come and find me on Facebook. And as long as you're not Fifi Tricks a Bell with a Fairy or a Rainbow as your photograph, you know, if you're a real person, I'll accept you. Uh, and you can chat away to me on Messenger. So it's Amazon, YouTube facebook and you can find us on threads facebook and x or whatever it's going to be called next week as the paracast check out branded merchandise at the paracast dot shop with four different logos to choose from the paracast dot shop and we also offer our streaming service the paracast plus at the paracast dot plus you get this show free of the network ads, better audio, and the exclusive amazing bonus after the Paracast podcast where you never know what's going to happen next, and we don't either, and Mark's going to return for that, and we don't know what he's going to do, but we'll figure it out once we get there. we got the lowest subscription rates ever, the Paracast.plus. Check out the Paracast.plus. Mark Ollie, it's always been a delight to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>